All right, we're done. You think the language in the Second Amendment is clear enough? You know, about the right to bear arms? Of course it's clear. Every American has the right to hang a pair of bear arms on their wall. How could that possibly be misconstrued? All right, fantastic, then. Wait, you know what? Before we send this to the printer, let's take that abortion thing out. What, Mr. Hutz? I'll have you know, the contents of that dumpster are private. You stick your nose in, you'll be violating attorney dumpster confidentiality. I just wanted to say hello. Oh. Hello. <laughs> Before his imperial majesty delivers a verdict, would you like to beg for your lives? It sometimes helps, but not often. I can't transform. Pirates, or you will be held in contempt of this court. I have nothing but contempt for this court. Oh, come on, I move for a hearing on the matter. What? You want me to have a special motion on the admissibility of the word asshole? Well, let me have ass then. That's close enough. What law school did you go to? I'll agree to it, Your Honor. You will? Why? I don't want any interlocutory appeals. What are you, a comedy team? Welcome to Opening Arguments, the podcast that breaks down the law behind all the news stories you care about. This podcast is sponsored by the law offices of P. Andrew Torres, LLC, for entertainment purposes, is not intended as legal advice, and does not form an attorney-client relationship. Don't take legal advice from a podcast. Welcome to Opening Arguments. I'm Liz Dye, and this is episode 689. With me is Andrew Torres. Thanks, Liz. I just have to break in here because as we are recording this, ABC News and other outlets are reporting that Mike Pence has been subpoenaed by special counsel Jack Smith in connection with the January 6th investigation. That is obviously bombshell news, but it is... um, Bombshell news without, like without documents, and that's it. So any, anything else you have to share about that? Uh, no, because <laughs> I am not special counsel Jack Smith, and I, too, have no documents. So I guess we should just go back to uh, whatever else we were going to say. Yeah. The one note uh, that I saw from the ABC reporting is that um, this subpoena apparently follows, quote, months of negotiations between federal prosecutors and Pence's legal team. When the government negotiates with you for several months and then issues a subpoena, that's a sign that the negotiations didn't go great. So... We have that piece of information, but other than that, uh, obviously important news, we will continue to follow it, but uh, nothing I think we can add at this time. Well, except that as we spoke about um, on our last show, you were talking about the Greg Jacob and Mark Short, his aides mm. attempting to assert executive privilege and getting overruled by Judge Howell. So presumably they had to testify right. um, about their dealings with Pence. So apparently their testimony was not sufficient and it led Smith back to, you know, it led the special prosecutor back to the former vice president. So have fun, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I hope maybe mother will help you pick out a nice tie. (laughs) One more piece of information. Some of you asked uh, why we didn't mention on yesterday's show that the State of the Union was Tuesday night. And the answer uh, from my end is that, you know, we'll break down any (laughs) 
policy proposals when they look like they might actually become law, which, you know, Republican Congress. So good luck with that, Joe. Or an executive order or an administrative rule. That's those are more likely. Um, But I, I, I will say, Liz, like it's nice to have a state of the union where like the worst things that the fact checkers can say are things like, well, you know, it's it's technically true that Biden has created more no, numerically more jobs in two years than any other president. But but, you know, if you look at the rate, he's still behind Obama, Clinton, Reagan and Jimmy Carter. Yeah. The Jimmy Carter thing kind of surprised the hell out of me, like uh, 12.8 job job growth, 12.8 uh, percent job growth during Carter's four years in office. So maybe he wasn't so bad after all. huh? Don't sleep on the peanut farmer. <laughs> all right. So on with the show, Liz. When you told me you wanted to tackle One American News Network's ongoing dispute with, I, I don't know, the entire known universe, you made me ridiculously happy because, you know, they're like eight separate book length documents that one has to read just to begin to understand the stuff. I love this case. I love this case. <laughs> I have I've always loved this case. I, I covered it when it was first filed in all its batshit glory. It is an absolutely perfect specimen of a lawsuit that's like not actually a lawsuit, which is which is more or less how I spend all my days. So when one this <laughs> this glorious comes along, I'm just enormously grateful. Okay. So so you're gonna be talking about the fact that OAN just filed a bunch of counterclaims and that is cool. But counterclaims are filed, you know, counter to something. And in that case, that something is a glorious 213-page, one-count defamation complaint by our friends at Dominion Voting Systems against OAN. Well, FRCP 8 does call for a complaint to contain a short and plain statement of the grounds for the court's jurisdiction, the facts of the case, and the relief sought. So, oh yeah, 213 pages. That tracks. <laughs> okay. But in fairness, when your complaint lists everything that OAN has said to defame Dominion Voting Systems, uh, that's a lot, right? Just paragraph 305 alone is 49 pages long. Okay. So- That is rude. Rude. That is rude. No one wants to read that. I want to read it. Oh, okay. okay. So Me Dominion too. Too. filed that lawsuit in D- District Court for the District of Columbia in August of 2021, seeking $1.6 billion. And that's been litigated at the ordinary glacial pace that you would expect from a 10-figure lawsuit. And it's not on the rocket docket. It's uh, in D.C. Like, D.C.'s <laughs> moving slow. D.C. moves slow even when they aren't bogged down with, you know, hundreds of January 6 prosecutions. So, yeah, it's yeah. not that's not going anywhere. Yeah. In the meanwhile, the rest of the universe has slowly come to realize that just maybe OAN isn't a reliable news network with a conservative bent, as they pitch themselves, but, you know, more of a toxic waste dump bookended by Mike Lindell's pillow commercials. So in January of 2022... When OAN's contract with DirecTV expired, OAN was like, hey, uh, you, you're going to renew us. And DirecTV did that thing where you pretend like you're losing cell signal and then hang up and then, you know, not answer when they call back. So did not renew the contract. Incidentally, after that contract with OAN expired, DirecTV replaced that deranged right-wing cesspool with a channel called The First that I had to look up in connection with the the show. It is the new home for Bill O'Reilly. Remember Bill O'Reilly? Don't even talk to me about Mr. <laughs> Lufa. Like, let's move on. Okay. Well, in any event, it's not like DirecTV took some hard left turn or anything, which, you know, may may prove relevant as we look at some fulminations down the line. So to a rational human, 
when someone fails to renew your contract, you, you know, maybe take another run at it or you try and pitch yourself to someone else. But not if you're crazed right wing conspiracy theorist Robert Herring, who owns and runs OAN with his sons, Charles and Robert Jr. No, he decided to file a lawsuit in state court in California. So the reason that they filed in California is obviously that OAN and DirecTV are both domiciled in California. So they couldn't avail themselves of diversity jurisdiction and get into federal court. And California state court is actually pretty, for obvious reasons, pretty good at handling media media disputes. And I feel bad for them because there were 348 docket entries on this, but they do seem <laughs> to have handled it. Um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a hot mess, um, yeah. but they do seem to have handled it pretty well. Yeah. On the downside, California has a very robust anti-slap law, which relates to about 330 of those 348 docket entries. We'll get to that. So as far as I can tell, the gravamen of the lawsuit starts with William Kennard, that is Barack Obama's ambassador to the European Union and the former FCC chair, because, you know, of course it does. Kennard, you see, is is now chair of AT&T's board of directors. AT&T owns DirecTV because antitrust is dead. And Kennard is also on the board of Staple Street, the hedge fund that bought Dominion Voting Systems in 2018. So the allegation is, I think, if I'm reading the you know pushpins and yarn correctly, that Kennard convinced AT&T to have DirecTV drop OAN to starve it of funds so then it couldn't successfully litigate the Dominion defamation suit and also because he's a dirty liberal. Oh, um, and also because AT&T supposedly violated its non-disparagement clause because it also owns CNN because antitrust is dead and Brian Stelter on CNN and HBO, Antitrust is Dead, John Oliver on HBO made fun of OAN and made them sad. So as you suggested, this case went nowhere. They never even managed to establish personal jurisdiction over Kennard, who lives in South Carolina and sometimes D.C., but not California. And uh, after uh, rounds and rounds of anti-slap motions, it looks like almost all of the the Claims in the lawsuit have been dismissed out. Breach of covenant, interference with business expectation, unfair competition. All that's left is one breach of contract claim, and it is based on, and, and this is the entirety of the allegation, DirecTV telling Bloomberg that it wasn't going to renew OAN's carriage agreement. OAN said this violated a confidentiality clause, although although they, they haven't said exactly how that damaged them economically. But as the judge notes, you know, even nominal damages is enough to survive a motion to dismiss. But for all intents and purposes, OAN lost that state case, lost it badly. So here's a weird thing that I cannot figure out. I would love your insight on this, Liz. OAN is represented in both the crazy California suit and in the counterclaim that you're about to talk about by the firm Vetter Price, which is a coat factory law firm with offices in Chicago, Dallas, London, Los Angeles, Miami, New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Washington, D.C. So, you know, I mean, this is, these are not your usual Lena Habas and Evan the Corks. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have a lot of thoughts about the attorneys who filed this piece of crap in San Diego on the theory that AT&T breached its contract by 
not renewing the contract. <laughs> That's not a thing. Yeah. And really, you got to have some balls to argue that AT&T is trying to unlawfully destroy an independent family-run business and torch First Amendment freedoms, and then turn around in the same breath and whine that AT&T violated its non-disparagement obligations by letting John Oliver make fun of OAN's, like, I mean, what is on Oliver says, uh, OAN's weird combination of far right-wing talking points and dirt-stupid reporting is incredibly dangerous <laughs> at a time like this. Like, And that's funny and also true. And also, most important, that's core First Amendment activity, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, which is exactly what the California judge found when he dismissed that breach of contract argument. Um, He said, this claim, therefore, arises from protected activity because DirecTV is a media company that carries news stations with coverage of nationwide politics and its decisions as to what specific stations it will or will not contract with for carriage is conduct in furtherance of its constitutional right of free speech in connection with issues of public interest. And and <laughs> while we're on the topic of disparagement, um, I told you I love this case. When the news came out that DirecTV was dropping OAN, Dan Ball, who's like, I don't know, say the third dumbest OAN host, it's a, it's a <laughs> stiff competition. Yeah. Ball threw a shit fit on the air about Kennard. He said, you bring me concrete evidence of whatever it may be, cheating on his taxes, cheating on his wife, saying racial slurs against white people, what? whatever it may be, wait, wait, find what? it for me. <laughs> Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He wanted to know if Kennard, who is black, had said mean things about white people, which is extremely on brand for Dan Ball. Wow. That guy once aired an entire gotcha segment on Representative Ocasio-Cortez, revealing that her boyfriend is white. Because, like, if she was really woke, she would, I don't know, not be with a white. It's too stupid. It's too stupid. I can't. But, like, that's Dan Ball. And really, he's not the dumbest guy there. (laughs) Anyway. There is no universe in which Ball's comments about Kennard are not disparagement. Right. Um, yeah. Like, come on. And and so for these guys to to claim like, oh, we, you know, you guys disparaged us because you let Brian Stelter make mean words about us, which is core First Amendment activity, um, to turn around and then disparage Kennard is um and and yes, you're entitled to say it, but that that's much more likely to to violate the um you know, the non-disparagement clause. That's yeah. not newsworthy to say somebody find out whether he ever, you know, used the word honky or something. Like, come on. So anyway, and BT dubs, it should escape no one's notice that as these guys were assembling their insane clown lawsuit vision board, they found a black CEO and pinned it all Ugh, on him, like yeah. super subtle. Um, but just in case it did slip by you, this whole racist, you know, Dogpile. They remind you what absolute garbage they are by whining that AT&T had the nerve to meet with the NAACP head after it came out that AT&T had been subsidizing OAN, um, which is, you know, super gross and racist and insurrectionary and whatever. But I digress. Yeah. Uh, yes. Gross. But <laughs> the underlying factual point you make there is a weird but real thing, right? At the at the exact same time that the OAN contract was up for renewal, there was the blockbuster Reuters story that revealed that AT&T had basically funded OAN from its inception to increase the number of conservative networks beyond just Fox. So, you know, just so you remember, there are no heroes in this story. I was not under the impression that there were heroes in this story. (laughs) But, okay. So the San San Diego case gets all but yeeted into the sun, Mm -hmm. as it should, because it was offensively stupid. And instead of going home to, like, contemplate their life and or career choices, guess what these dipshits did? Oh, uh, 
figured out how to pay the bills off of uh, nominal damages? No. <laughs> uh, what they did was they hopped a plane for D.C. and then they vomited the same damn lawsuit onto the docket in the Dominion case. Like, it's the same BS about Kennard and AT&T and DirecTV cahootsing to stick it to OAN to stifle the network God-given right to tell lies about the election. Uh, like, they said the same nonsense about this secret plan to impoverish OAN and um, make sure that it wouldn't be able to pay its lawyers to defend it in the Dominion case. And, um, you know... Sp- Speaking about the lawyers that they have, maybe maybe that would be kind, but never mind. The point is, it's the same lawyers. I mean, it's the same lawsuit, right down to both of them being exactly 36 pages long. Um, only this time, it's a different choose-your-own-adventure. They styled it as a tortious interference claim, not a breach of contract case. Because if you are arguing that like 2 plus 2 equals banana, and suddenly you turn around and declare that 2 plus 2 equals tangerine – it's not like you're going to sound any stupider the second time around. I'm like, it's the same fact pattern. It is no more dumb to say that it amounts to a contract claim than than a tort. So, I mean, I guess it's slightly more stupid because here they're alleging that AT&T and DirecTV tortiously interfered with their own contract with OAN. And that's like not a thing. You can't interfere with your own contract in a tortious manner. Like you could breach a contract, but you can't you can't do a tort on yourself. Right. right. I mean, this is a first year of law school kind of thing. And uh, let's actually break it down, right? Because it's a little bit counterintuitive until you understand one of the things we've, we've mentioned on the show a lot, that the law does not want to turn every breach of contract into a tort, a civil wrong, right? In fact, we've talked about how the law specifically encourages you to break contracts if it's in everyone's best interest. So Let's think about how that would play out, right? Like, let's let's say you and I have a contract where I agree to sell you my apples, right? And then I stop selling them to you. You then Ooh. learn. Yeah, I know. You then learn the reason that I stopped selling them to you is because Steve pulled me aside and told me you weren't trustworthy. So that bastard. Yeah, I know. You can sue me for breach of contract, and you can sue Steve for tortious interference with our contract. But unless there's a Steve, unless there's a third party, there's no tort. Otherwise, every breach of contract would also be tortious interference with contract. And we just explain that's a thing you can't do. You know, that's funny because you always say to read the cases back to front. Uh And I sometimes do skip ahead. But in the main, I read them front to back, which is like, okay, partly my job is to find the funny in these cases, and it's not usually in the last, like, six paragraphs. No, true. Um, and it's partly because um, so much of what I cover doesn't really count as a legal case. I mean, it, they are legal cases, right? They are docketed. Um, but, like, none of what Herring has filed um, here, either in California or in D.C., is real. Mm. Like, none of this is real. It has no chance of succeeding in its stated aims. It states basically no cognizable legal claim, and it's procedurally defensive. Um, like, you know, in every fashion, right? They, they didn't that, have, Lincoln. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's perfect. I mean, it's, look, it's the same in all of this Trump litigation, which I also cover. There's, right. there's no there there. I mean, like, yes, in, in a normal lawsuit, it probably does make sense to read it back to, I mean, back to front. Like if it were internally consistent and rationally pled and like there was, a complaint there in it, it would probably make sense to start at the relief section. But like, if you're talking about a Trump demand from CNN for $475 million for some made up defamation thing, or like, or like your Brunson case with those weirdos that were demanding $11 trillion because of overturning the election, like, 
The relief is never coming. So whatever they're asking for is kind of beside the point. Ooh, that that reminds me, I owe you an update on the Brunson brothers. So stay tuned. We'll put a pin in that yeah. one. <laughs> okay. So this is the same case. Like the, 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 the counterclaim in the Dominion case is the same basically as the – it's the same facts as the California case that just, you know – is that just got killed. Um, but like this one is maybe a couple clicks nuttier oh. and like more racist even. Um, so it accuses Kennard of quote, offering up OAN as a sacrificial lamb to the NAACP, which is, <laughs> oh. which is gross. Yeah. I know. I know. Um, and it also says that the um, cancellation of the carriage agreement is quote, currently being litigated in the Superior Court of San Diego County. Which it is not, yeah. because all that's left in San Diego County is that minor breach from the leak to Bloomberg, which is going to result in, you know, maybe nominal damages. And this new case adds a super weird allegation that, like, some sort of way, this is all part of the government's effort to stifle their free speech. Um, I'll just, I'll just read you a little bit of it from um, highlights. It says, um, Defendants have flouted the First Amendment in acting unlawfully to try and destroy a company based on counterclaim defendants and third-party defendants, viewpoint discrimination, political power, backroom handshake shenanigans, and improper manipulation of governmental influence. Um, uh, you got to watch out for those backroom handshake shenanigans. Okay. In fact, Herring is confident discovery re will reveal that one or more Dominion entities or Dominion-affiliated entities used governmental entities to unlawfully censor speech. Uh, Counterclaim defendants. Confidence, not usually the basis for asserting a fact in a complaint. But no, please, please continue. No, I mean, like, look, these are these are not real, right? Yeah. Like, as I have said, this is not a real lawsuit. Yeah. Okay. Counterclaim defendants coordinated with the Miss Dis and Malinformation MDM team at Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. That's a that's a government agency mm -hmm. um, to attack speech that one or more Dominion entities found troubling for selfish business reasons. So basically, they're saying that um, they have a First Amendment claim here, maybe because. Um, because Dominion was in cahoots not only with AT&T and DirecTV, but with the government or something. I'm like, who the hell knows? <laughs> this is the same dingbat argument that Trump made in his tech lawsuits. He said that Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube became government agents and thus stifled his First Amendment free speech rights. Um, because Adam Schiff, that is congressman, <laughs> you know, said – Boy, it would behoove you, tech companies, to take some responsibility for the COVID and election misinformation that is all over your sites. And Trump lost that case. Yeah. I, I mean, look, it's the same bullshit argument Republicans made yesterday in those tech hearings when they yelled at the Twitter executives for blocking Hunter Biden's dick pics. Like, it's dumb and it's not going to work. So have fun with that, Judge Nichols, because <laughs> you and your Federalist Society brothers rely on these insane goobers to keep yourself in power. So- they're all yours. Enjoy. And um, we will enjoy in a minute when we come back after this break. All right. Our next story is one that you covered a few weeks ago for One Cat Liz, but I figured we could give it a, a bigger breakdown here. And I know our audience is interested. It's RFK Jr.'s lawsuit in federal court in the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Texas, where they have drawn your favorite new character guest from yesterday's show, Matthew J. Kaczmarek. 
I I think it could be Kutchmark. I'm not, right. I don't know. But oh my God, this guy. He's like a religious nut who spent his entire life before 2019 fighting to take away rights from women, LGBT people, and what he called secular liberty. It's like, mm. no, he literally used those words. So um, I think that means you and me, dude. Anyway, Trump appointed him to be the only federal judge in Amarillo, which is why this case by um, RFK and so many others are going to be filed there. In fact, there's a pretty good chance that by the time you guys are hearing this, he's going to, he, Kachmarek, is going to have issued a nationwide injunction on the drug used for medication abortions, um, which will mean it will be illegal for everybody. He's already done similar stuff for, I think, labor rights and also on the border. So he is awful and he's only 44. So he'll be awful for a good long time. Uh, Well, let's hope that that was just negatron, Liz. But this case at least does not involve the rights of women or LGBTQ people. So this involves anti-vax loons suing all the newspapers for conspiring to, you know, not spread deadly misinformation about COVID and vaccines. It was filed on January 10th. So we are still waiting on the defendant's motion to dismiss. I mean, they could answer, but I feel pretty good that they're going to move to dismiss. You know, pretty pretty safe bet. Yeah. Um, although you you you're, you're calling this the RFK Jr. case. He's not alone. <laughs> he's he's got like a whole clown car of co defendants, including like Trial Site News, which is a YouTube channel that has um, thirty thousand subscribers to you know f- to slurp up its COVID misinformation. This other site um, called Creative Destruction Media mm. and. Um, They describe themselves as having investigated and posted articles about corruption in American politics, including articles about election fraud and corruption involving the Biden family. There's somebody called Aaron Finn from uh, Health Nut News who um, sells health-related products Mm. with air quotes. I I think you can hear them. And then there's this couple, Ty and Charlene Bollinger, who sell alternative cancer treatments and – Bringing up the clown car is Jim Hoft, um, the the of the Gateway Pundit, which is a pretty substantially terrible right wing website that's wildly popular. And please don't click on it because I think you'll give your browser syphilis. Anyway, um, there are many more, but I think you get the point. I, I when I wrote about this, I called these um, all the worst goddamn people minus Naomi Wolf, and and I stand by that. I did. I agree. So, as always, we're going to do the OA thing. We're going to read this complaint backwards. You were not listening, obviously, when we talked about this already. <laughs> you do not read performance art backwards, and this is not a real lawsuit. Okay. okay. Even, I believe, in Judge Kaczmarek's court. Okay. But I think even you would want us to start with the signature block at the end, where we learn that all the worst people are represented by J.W. Howard attorneys. And, and Liz, this website is just delightful. <laughs> Oh, shit. I remember this guy. I'm looking at it now. He's, oh, God, he's such a weirdo. This guy's whole practice is fighting against like COVID public health mm-hmm. measures. And his website is like a gif of a pirate ship or something. I, I totally remember this guy from when I wrote about it last time. I, I'm guessing you're not a huge video game player. I mean, this is safe bet, dude. <laughs> yeah. This is not just a gif, like a, you know, tiny little thing in the corner. Have you at least heard of the Assassin's Creed line of games? You, you know those exist, right? Yeah. yeah. I've left my house yeah, okay. in the past okay. five years. So okay. this is, I, I just want you to think, this is like you're boarding the Adrestia in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. It is, it is, it takes up half the screen. Uh, you know, J.W. Howard, you do you on marketing. But when it comes to the information on the website, it gives us a bit more information. So the firm lists their practice areas as including 
federalism. Federalism is the bedrock of American freedom. Oh, that's helpful. Constitutional law. That's described as the charter of freedom, the beating heart of American justice. And then for good measure, their eminent domain practice is described as the government has the power to forcibly take private property for public use. So which side of that are they on? Are they for (laughs) eminent domain? Are they against eminent domain? I'm assuming they're against it, but uh, I know, but it's it's funny. It's like it's just like sounds like they made it up. All right, whatever. (laughs) So, all right. You probably figure out they're pretty conservative, but it's when you dig into their own in the news page, it lets you know that you're not just dealing with, you know, a boutique firm whose specialty is, uh, you know, libertarians or conservative. These are hardcore fundamentalist weirdos parroting the Christian nationalist agenda. So again, this is their number one story and they didn't have to put this up. This is their site. They proudly promote the fact that they represent general hospital star Ingo Rademacher in suing ABC arguing as you've said, that its COVID vaccine mandate was unconstitutional and amounts to religious discrimination. Rademacher <laughs> sent this request to Disney HR, presumably in crayon, quote, I am entitled to a religious exemption against mandatory vaccination for COVID-19 on the basis of my deeply and sincerely held moral belief that my body is endowed by my creator with natural processes to protect me and that its natural integrity cannot ethically be violated by the administration of artificially created copies of genetic material foreign to nature and experimental end of quote. Oh, my gosh. I'm Googling this guy. Apparently, Rademacher claimed a religious exemption from uh-huh. the vaccine mandate, but the only religious text he referenced was something called the Revelation of Ramallah. Mm-hmm. And he admitted he hadn't read it since he was a teenager and didn't own a copy of it now <laughs> um, at the time of this of this religious exemption. So that sounds legit. Yeah. I sincerely hope that I sincerely hope that dude does not need synthetic insulin one day. Anyway, Given the state of the world today, you might infer that this complaint was filed in 2021. You'd be correct. Nevertheless, it remains J.W. Howard's number one news item. And no, I did not follow up on the outcome because I'm pretty sure ABC doesn't even have a vaccine mandate anymore. Um, Also, RFK Jr. was of counsel in that suit. Uh, So I guess he alternates between representing crazy anti-vax people and then being a crazy anti-vax person plaintiff here, which he is in this case. Oh, his daddy would be really proud of his versatility. That's that's harsh. All right. So what what do these worst people want? So the plaintiffs allege, and and I'm going to quote here from paragraph 11 of the complaint, that they, quote, have been censored, demonetized, demoted, throttled, shadow banned, and or excluded entirely from platforms like Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. They used shadow banned 33 times in their complaint. I control left it, which has to be some sort of record. So, all right, that's dumb. But at least that part of their complaint is comprehensible as an argument, right? But um, hold hold on, because this is about to go off the rails very quickly. So you're probably thinking, okay, with that complaint, these plaintiffs sued Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn for the admittedly non-existent tort of shadow banning, right? And see, that's because you're not a crazy person. (laughs) Because, you know, while shadow banning is not a tort, hey, at least they would have had the right defendants, right? Um, So to be clear, these worst people did not sue Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and or LinkedIn or any of their parent companies at all. Instead, they sued the Washington Post, 
the BBC, the Associated Press, and Reuters. And if you're scratching your head, well, that's why I read this complaint backwards. Because when you start with the counts, you'll see they're both allegations under the Sherman Antitrust Act. Okay, right, fine. Yes, that is hilarious. And also, they could have sued under the Magical Endangered Unicorns and Ewoks. It doesn't make any difference. Like, this isn't a real lawsuit. You can read it, like, start on page 16, or you can start on page 50. It's not going to make any damn difference. (laughs) Okay, so here's the argument. The argument is that the Post, the BBC, the AP, and Reuters all created something called the Trusted News Initiative to fact-check disinformation in real time. And, you know, unlike... Our A segment, that's at least a real thing that they really did. Now, the Trusted News Initiative is a voluntary set of international standards and supporting research programs to help news outlets around the world in the critical mission of fact-checking dangerous misinformation. And in fact, they they can find that only to misinformation that, quote, threatens life or the integrity of the electoral process. So... Our anti-vax plaintiffs allege that by creating the Trusted News Initiative, what these media organizations were actually doing was leveraging their monopoly power over the news to stifle dissenting voices. And that's why it's an antitrust claim. Sure. I mean, go for it, buddy. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) All right. So let's quote from paragraph 24, which is an actual grammatically correct sentence, but you have to read it very carefully six or seven times. Here's what they say. More than three quarters of a century ago, the Supreme Court held that when news organizations combine to restrain what other rival news suppliers can publish, antitrust law and the First Amendment speak with one voice in condemning such combinations. And they cite to a case called Associated Press versus United States, 326 U.S. 1 from 1945. So. At least we're not in sovereign citizen land, right? Because APVUS is a real case. But if you're asking, hey, does that case stand for the proposition that when journalists establish voluntary standards that help them not spread conspiracy theories, is that illegal? Well, spoiler alert, uh, no. So um, after a quick break, we will take a look at the APVUS decision. All right, we're back. Let's dive into this APVUS case. So back then, 1945, there were more than 1,200 newspapers that were members of the Associated Press. Uh, The Associated Press, you guys know this, is a cooperative association. You, You may not know that they were incorporated under the membership corporation law of the Statute of New York. Uh, But you do know that their job is to collect, assemble and distribute the news. Um, also, I, I took a quick look because, you know, with the death of newspapers over the last 80 years um, today, 1400 newspapers are uh, members of, of the uh, Associated Press. So anyway, um, the Associated Press had still has bylaws uh, for its member newspapers in in 1945. They were a lot more um, restraint of tradey. Right. So in particular, those bylaws, they did two things. So first. They prohibited all AP members from selling news to non-member newspapers, which, oh, okay, that seems medium bad. And then second, (laughs) they granted each member newspaper veto rights that effectively allowed them to block non-member competitors from joining the Associated Press. So put those together and, um, well, here's how the Supreme Court put it. 
inability to buy news from the largest news agency can have most serious effects on the publication of competitive newspapers, both presently and in the future. In 26 cities, existing newspapers already have contracts for AP News under which new newspapers would be required to pay the contract holders large sums to enter the field. The net effect is seriously to limit the opportunity of any new paper to enter these cities. Trade restraints of this character aimed at the destruction of competition frustrate the free enterprise system, which it was the purpose of the Sherman Act to protect. So I don't know, maybe this needs to be broken down for our younger listeners who can't really imagine a world without 24-7 news and the entire history of Western civilization in your pocket. But in 1945... Or also, <laughs> perhaps, they, perhaps they can't imagine a world where we actually had a functioning Supreme Court that that did something about antitrust, that cared about antitrust, that cared about making sure that there was an actually competitive market. Like, I don't think this would come down the same way today. Do you? Uh, well, welcome. Welcome on board my hobby horse, Liz. There's there's plenty <laughs> of room in the back. Uh, yeah. Cool. No, <laughs> the, the long running theme here at, at OA is that, um, you know, one of the things that even Democratic presidents have been really terrible at in our lifetime is robust enforcement of antitrust laws. So total agreement. So 1945, most people got their news from newspapers and the newspapers would have, you know, local journalists on staff, but even big newspapers, even the New York Times would rely on the AP just like they do today for stories from elsewhere, right? Because people want to read about more than just what happens down the street. So Imagine you wanted to start a newspaper in your town that would be competitive with an established newspaper. You'd need something like the AP wire to cover all those other stories. And if the established newspaper could just, you know, veto you from being able to buy the AP wire stories, they could basically coerce you into not starting your newspaper. And that is classic antitrust, right? If your competitor can prevent you from buying a thing you need to start your business, that's pretty clearly a, quote, contract combination or conspiracy in restraint of trade. So it's not surprising APVUS was a 9-0 decision, even if terrifyingly it might be 6-3 the other way today. Um, what is surprising is why these weirdos think that it's a basis for their argument, since, you know, promulgating voluntary best practices is a lot different than driving competitors out of business. But then I remembered something you told me, Liz. <laughs> oh, like that this isn't a real lawsuit, that it's performance art? Like... Have you? Did you read this thing? Any random sampling of this complaint could have told you that this is not this is not a real lawsuit. Like, okay, take paragraph two seventy nine. Paragraph two seventy nine. The TNI's legacy news members hope and believe that they can save their parentheses self imagined reputation as a quote trusted news provider by clubbing together and working jointly to disadvantage, injure, or shut down smaller online news publishers whose reporting challenges contradicts and competes with theirs. Like, okay, just. So aside here, if your complaint looks like it was written by somebody holding Roger's thesaurus, then it's not real. <laughs> it's performance art. Okay, fine. Paragraph 280. To achieve this goal, the TNI's legacy news members had to partner with big tech. Dun, dun, dun. Paragraph 281. As TNI Director Cecil stated, the legacy news defendants had no ability to suppress online news competitors, quote, on our own. Paragraph 282, only the big tech platforms could do so. Paragraph 283, hence the TNI. This is not how real lawyers write a serious complaint. This is gobbledygook. Exactly right. So fool me 688 times, shame on you. Fool me 689 times, shame on me. So 
Anyway, when you view this through the performance art lens, I think I figured out what these bozos latched onto in this case. And again, I, I hope that this is super instructive for the young lawyers and law students who are listening. So there's a bit 20 pages into the opinion where the Supreme Court is responding to the Associated Press's argument that antitrust laws shouldn't apply to it because of the First Amendment. And the court pretty solidly says, look, like the First Amendment doesn't mean we don't have laws. This is a society, right? But oh, remember those good old days when the court was like, hey, we actually have to live together. And now they're like, guns, guns for everybody. Shoot, shoot, shoot. All right. Well, that was fun while it lasted. So here's the way they said it, right? It would be strange indeed if the grave concern for freedom of the press, which prompted the First Amendment, should be read as a command that the government was without power to protect that freedom. The First Amendment rests on the assumption that the widest possible dissemination of information from diverse and antagonistic sources is essential to the welfare of the public. Ah, so see, we have that sort of John Stuart Mill concept of the marketplace of ideas, and you're censoring my freedoms when I can't post diverse and antagonistic sources to, you know, the CDC and medical experts. Everyone's opinion is as good as anyone else's. Well, that's pretty much the Republican position, right? Like experts are just fascists, right? Yeah. I mean, they've, that's one of the reasons there's the part of their long-term project to destroy public education, because why would you want, like, experts telling your kids how to live? But, uh, go ahead. Sorry, no, a, a, amen, preach it, sister. <laughs> Except even here, even if you were just cherry-picking for rhetoric, the next few sentences undercut that marketplace of ideas rather drastically. Here's what the Supreme Court goes on to say. Uh, two sentences later, freedom to publish— means freedom for all and not for some. Freedom to publish is guaranteed by the Constitution, but freedom to combine to keep others from publishing is not. Freedom of the press from governmental interference under the First Amendment does not sanction repression of that freedom by private interests. So again, even where they're in the broad, soaring rhetoric, the court makes it clear that what antitrust law protects when it gets involved is when you're using your leverage to keep competitors out of the marketplace. So there's the question. Does this complaint even allege that the BBC, the Washington Post, Reuters, and the AP kept anybody out of the marketplace? I don't know. I mean, the answer is sort of, right? Like, um, it repeats eight or nine times. And and again, I'm not making this up. This is a 96-page complaint, right? That there is a huge conspiracy between the media and big tech to keep conservative voices down, just like we talked about in the A segment. That is, of course, the same pushpins and yarn that's coming to a congressional committee near you later this year. Of course, there, there's or not tomorrow. only <laughs> yeah, God, there's not only no evidence for that, but there's pretty strong evidence for the exact opposite. Like you know, the point you made in the A segment about big tech and media company AT and T essentially bankrolling OAN. Well, I mean, and also the premise of this lawsuit is that the AP precedent applies because the big tech company, I mean, the, the legacy media companies are trying to keep out people like these, you know, anti-vax loons because they view them as economic competition. And that's that doesn't make any sense. Like, that's a poor analogy. I do not think that the BBC is worried about the anti-vax network putting it out of business. I mean, this is this is that doesn't make any sense. You don't, you don't think Health Nut Mommy's blog is going <laughs> to... No, I do not think that people like, you know, selling molybdenum as, as a cure for cancer is is going to put the, you know, AP out of business. That that That's why this is a, is a poor analogy among many 
other reasons. But yeah, your point about AT&T bankrolling OAN is like, yes, the, the, these media companies also try and um, both sides everything. So yeah. it, it doesn't make any sense. But okay, you shouldn't say that there is no evidence cited here because these dipshit anti-vax weirdos, they love to cite that Taibi Twitter files to go like, oh, see, you guys are suppressing this because you won't let us say that ivermectin cures COVID or whatever <laughs> shit that is. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry uh, I interrupted you. Liz, I am really trying to steal bot this argument and you are not making that any easier. So I, I not guess, sorry. <laughs> I guess best case it amounts to the media bullied Facebook, YouTube, etc., to enforce their own terms of service. And that by doing that and then deplatforming what these anti-vaxxers were saying, that hurt them economically. So I I don't know. That's a maybe cognizable claim if there wasn't an objectively good reason to remove objectively false information. Um, and here, paragraph 306, I told you this was a long complaint, is where the plaintiffs list 23 supposedly reasonable things that TNI has labeled misinformation in connection with COVID. Well, actually, it's 22 things about COVID and one thing about... Uh, oh, you're not going to... It's Hunter Biden's penis, it, it, isn't it? It's, it, it, it's, it's Hunter, Hunter Biden's dick pics. It's Hunter Biden's penis. So, yeah, it includes Ugh. misinformation like claims that COVID-19 was man-made, manufactured, or bioengineered. It was not. Claims that COVID-19 was created by a government or country. It, it was not. Claims that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin are effective treatments for COVID. They are not. Claims that face masks or mask mandates do not prevent the spread of COVID. And I, I guess you want to quibble. They don't prevent it, but they do substantially reduce it. And claims that fetal cells were used in the manufacture production or any of the COVID vaccines. And of course, Hunter Biden's penis. That's really, really in there. That's sub item W. Well, and then, thank God. I, it, they can't help themselves. And then they assure us that each of these censored claims are either provably true, right? Uh, provably true that ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine are effective treatments for COVID. They are not. Or supported by substantial evidence, also not the case, or, or they, they add at the end, or at the very least open to legitimate debate in a free press. So, gee, I wonder which one they're going to retreat to. Yeah, but like there's you can legitimately debate. I mean, you can say any dumb shit you right. want. Right? It's a free country. Say anything you want. But but what there's what they want is to use all of these platforms, all of these social media platforms to air their nonsense. I mean, you can say any dumb shit you want on your own website. Right. You and I can say any dumb shit we want here. We are not entitled to use social media companies' platforms, and that is not a First Amendment violation because, as we said, these platforms are not the government. Uh, exactly right. And so in terms of the civil suit, at the end of the day, I mean, I think that it all comes down to paragraph 290 in which they say TNI members— Doesn't it always? <laughs> it always. It's the 290. Were— and are aware that while publicly claiming to censor only, quote, false claims, the TNI's platform members were, in fact, censoring claims that were not false. So remember, this is in federal court. And so the standard for dismissing out a lawsuit is is uh, it's it's easier than in your average state court. Right. And we've talked about it before. It's the Iqbal and Twombly standard. And it requires that your complaint not only must be plausible on its face, but that it must bring forth sufficient factual allegations that nudge 
change a claim across the line from conceivable to plausible. So in other words, it's not good enough to allege things that might be possible. The alleged facts must be reasonable and likely to occur. So, you know, a sufficiently skeptical judge could bounce this on a motion to dismiss, even though this, you know, really feels like something that's headed to discovery. Unfortunately, we are not in front of a sufficiently skeptical judge. It's pretty likely that we're not. Um, we're in front of that goon Kachmarek. So who the hell even knows what's going to happen here? But we will keep you posted. And hey, if you are a new or Hall of Fame patron of the show, we know we owe you a shout out and that is coming, we promise. So on that happy note, that's it for today. I've been Liz Dye along with Aaron Drew Torres for opening arguments. Spider-Man wasn't attacking the city. He was trying to save it. That's slander. It is not. I resent that. Slander is spoken. In print, it's libel. This has been Opening Arguments with Andrew and Liz. If you love the show and want to support future episodes, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com law. If you can't support us financially, it would be a big help if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast delivery vehicle you use. And be sure to tell all your friends about us. For questions, suggestions, and complaints, email us at openarguments at gmail.com. The show notes and links are on our website at www.openargs.com. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at OpenArgs. This podcast is a production of Opening Arguments Media, LLC, with assistance from Teresa Gomez and Deborah Smith. Opening Arguments is a production of Opening Arguments Media, LLC. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved.